What's up, what's up, listeners? Welcome back to Shattering Superstructure. On this episode, we have the incomparable American Psycho director, Mary Heron, discussing her new film, Dollyland. Hope you enjoy. Hi, Mary. Hi, Alex. Hi. Excellent film, uh, Dollyland. I, yeah, I loved it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's, um, I was curious what, how this script found you and, you know, what aspects of it um, drew you to the project? Yeah, because, uh, well, you know, there had been some different versions of this project when it was brought to us. And um, um, my husband and I decided to sort of start from scratch. Um, the original projects were more about art fraud. Mm. And um, John Walsh, my husband, who's a screenwriter, came up with a said, let's move away from all that entire, you know, entirely and look at the marriage of Dali and Gala. Um, we like the idea of the set in New York in the 70s, got, you know, Dali at the end of his life um, with flashbacks to the very beginning of his marriage. And I think what, what John came up with was the idea that even though Dali himself is such a strange person and sort of hard, you know, like a lot of geniuses, just very hard to relate to, very hard to get, really hard to get inside, but that his fear of death and aging which is also a motive for Gala, their, their mutual fear of death. And it's something that we all can relate to. It's, it, it's very humanizing. Right. So if you approach the, for the, from the idea of a marriage that, a long marriage that's in crisis and two people driven by their terror of aging and death, then you, then you have a kind of human drama that allows a way in to, to understand that it uh, sort of humanizes this kind of art icon person yeah and and you you both did that in such a great way you know what comes to mind is that one scene with gala where she's just praying in the mirror you know don't let me get old please let jeff stay with me you know yes yes uh, which is very heartbreaking yeah yeah i mean she's a tough and scary person some ways but she's also very i thought barbara brought out the vulnerability so brilliantly in her yeah, likewise. And it's so exciting to be a fly on the wall in, in Dali's process. Um, you know, were, were there creative liberties that you felt were essential to convey his his personality or his process as an artist? I mean, I know the assistant is fictional, but I was fictional, wondering yeah. if he was a, an amalgamation of different people. Yes, um, he's an amalgamation. There was always um, some young male assistant um, and often, you know, someone young or, or there would be like, um, you know, uh, someone who would work as a model who was who would be hanging out with Delhi that he would call San Sebastian. There were different San Sebastians, um, as it says at the end. Um, and there would be somebody always kind of, you know, helping him. He's someone who needed a lot of help. He could barely like, you know, press the buttons on the elevator on his own, you know? So he had a lot of people around him. And, and we liked the idea of having a young person who was very 
you know, with these two older people and, and a young person, very innocent, fresh to New York. Um, and then I said to John, you know, what I was attracted to also was being young in New York because I was young. I came to New York in 1975. And I just felt like, you know, something about being young and you 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 meet people, you get invited places, you step on the merry-go-round, you know, things, it doesn't really happen to you later in life. It's just something about being young, people like having you around. And I thought, oh, if we could just capture that. I, and I knew a bit about an artist's entourage because having done my first film about Warhol and having met Warhol when I was young, you know, like being at a party with Warhol and everything, it's like, you get a little bit of a sense of how people get on the merry-go-round. I thought it would be fun to, to, to do the story through someone who would be young and but also like an, a regular person, like like the a substitute for us, you know, seeing the world through through somewhere we he, we can experience this world through him. Yeah, and within their circle, it's you know, there's like a lot of sort of sexual freedom, um, gender and, and, and sex fluidity. Um, yes. so, I mean, was this, um, was this actually how it was in, in Dali's circle? I know certainly in, in Andy Warhol's sort of circle. Yes. Yes. I mean, I mean, we didn't get into it because we just have Amanda, but, but, um, Dali actually had a number of, of friends, muses who were trans you know? Yeah. His trans, you know, um, uh, I mean, Amanda is the most celebrated and we wanted to, and she was the closest to him. You know, she was really a part of his life for years. So we wanted to, to make Amanda the main figure, but there were certainly a number of others. There's great photographs of him with um, these, you know, fantastic uh, trans women. Um, and, and I think that, that also, that, that was something I wanted to capture about the time, which was the sort of early 70s. It, it was a time of glam rock. Yeah. And a time when people felt very comfortable in experimenting sexually um, because it wasn't, it was just, it was just in the air, you know? Sort of David Bowie had launched this thing where, you know, and it, it wasn't just a fashion thing, it was also a, a thing that actually happened in, in real life, but the people would cross boundaries and then I think later the world got much more conservative okay. in a backlash but I wanted to kind of recreate that much more innocent fluidity of boys and girls boys with girl boys girls with girls you know there was a little a lot more of that and now we're kind of getting back to that but it was it was an, an interesting time for that yeah and you know it's you speak about glam rock and you're a former rock journalist yeah um, so I mean, you may know this. I mean, I, there are Alice Cooper's in in, in the film, uh, among many others. But um, yeah. you know, was his later work inspired by the, those rock stars and actors that surrounded him, or vice versa, or or both? Do you think? I think I think probably. More. I mean, he was inspired to the extent that he loved Alice Cooper's sort of theatricality. Mm. And he wanted, and he did do this sort of famous, um, you know, hologram with Alice. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if they they were inspired each other so much as if they appreciated each other, you know, and they had something in common. Um, 
you know, and I think that there was a, uh, I'm sure that David Bowie met, you know, everybody, there's a scene in my first film, which was very funny now, and I saw Andy Warhol where, uh, you know, uh, one of Warhol's uh, uh, superstars says to the main character, Valerie, oh, so we can't, we can't, you can't come with us. We're going, we're going to see Salvador Dali's having a party at the St. Regis. <laughs> and it's true. He, you know, there was all that intersection between those worlds, which you, you don't really think of with, with, you know, I think the popular idea of Salvador Dali is kind of fixed in, in the thirties, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, you know, with, with surrealism and, uh, that area of thought, you know, mm. it kind of mm. met Dada, you know, like the, yeah. the object, the found object. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's previously, that's how I mostly associated him yeah. with, but later in his life, it's kind of almost sad that he seems to be disappearing into obscurity um, he talks about old methods of painting, you know, disappearing, mm. uh, uh, like, I don't know what he, he, he says, surrealism will just be considered a mess, you know, yeah. in the future. Yeah, but, but it's funny because in fact, that didn't really happen. It's funny because art made it uh, turn back towards the figurative, you know, but I, th I think that happens a lot. Like I remember actually in the 80s, uh, right around at the end of Warhol's life and after he died there was a time when his his work was not fashionable you know mm. this often happens I think at the end of an artist's life and then people come back and then they and the, you know and the idea was like oh everything Warhol did after the 60s wasn't interesting but you know give it some time like they said about Dali you know everything he did after the 1940s what you know worthless but then you give it time you come back and you find what was interesting and what was novel you know yeah that's a good point um if you look at the contrast like i guess in the age of the influencer um yeah. you know it's it's so i guess he was struggling financially kind of secretively but now you have so much more so many more channels and avenues and access to to get wealth with well, well actually i think i think, talent, I, I think you know? that he um one of the things was that gala spent he they had a very very expensive lifestyle and and gala spent a lot of money and then i think in later years he was also being ripped off more by people mm. you know as time went and on um but but yes but then he ended up sort of doing this thing where he'd sign a lot of like sheets of paper which were supposed to be for lithographs and then unscrupulous people would take them and print xeroxes basically oh and yeah sell them, as, sell them as lithographs yeah that happened to a lot of artists but yeah definitely with him sure yeah that i mean that's mm. that's too bad i mean you definitely touch upon the sort of art forgery yeah but i think i think that um I think I think that Dolly would have loved influencing. <laughs> you think so? Yeah. Yeah, I think he would have loved Instagram. I think he would have. <laughs> yeah, he, would, he would have considered it another art form, probably. Yeah, yeah, uh, another form of uh, 
expression expression yeah i think he one thing that i really do like about him admire about him was that he he sort of saw art everywhere Mm. i don't think that he had any snobbery or any limitations like he would see something mass produced and see beauty in it i mean and then he would see other things and you know it wasn't that he liked everything but he could see beauty anywhere you see what i mean yeah yeah, even, you know, in food. And he's like, I can't eat s- certain foods. Oh, yes, no, no, spit it. I can't, I can't eat four, you know, which does not have a recognizable shape. Yes, I have to. Yeah. <laughs> no, no spinach, only oysters, yes. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. That's a real quote. <laughs> Gave me a chuckle. Um, and the flashbacks are so unique um, <laughs> in that the present day characters are watching it unfold. Yeah. And- in particular, what comes to mind is when he paints, you know, the famous persistence of memory. Yeah. You focus only on Gala's reaction. Yes. It's so much more powerful than actually like looking at, you know, what we all know. Yes. The, the painting that we all know. Was this in the script or something that you wanted to? Well, we weren't allowed to show it. The foundation wouldn't let us show it, but it was one of those things where you have a restriction that really helps you because nothing can recreate the impact that that image would have had, Mm. you know, when she saw it, you know, because there had been nothing like it. And so, and it's such a wonderful actress, Avatar, who plays yeah. young Gala is incredible. And 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 her face and and like the dawning, like, oh my God, you know, wonder about it. And, and she's very moved. And that's really what you want to do is recreate the impact that it had. And and now, you know, we've all seen it. It's on like, you know, fridge magnets, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. everywhere. Everyone knows, oh, Salvador Dali, melting watches. But to actually see it for the first time, you can only reproduce it through an experience as an experience. Right, right. Yeah. And and it's, you know, in a way, we've sort of lost our way and that we almost become, I would guess, less receptive to things that we don't instantly get, like yeah. a lot of Dolly's work. And, I, you know, I'm thinking yeah. more like film and television, mm. like we need to be f- spoon fed the, the the entire plot and how it's going to be, you know, unfold in, in the first act. Mm. And I mean, that's, it's almost like we we're losing our imaginations, I guess. Yeah. Um, in, in the form of like, you know, big, big budget mainstream films sort of taking over the indie film. I don't know if you've uh, just well, that's that. Well, always a problem, yes. Um, I think also one thing is that people are used to having being told what to think about or told the meaning of a film. Yeah. You know, and like, this is what it's about and this is this is the analysis and this is the psychological key that unlocks everything. And, and to me, I think I like also films that are more about the mystery of someone. It, there is There is no ultimate answer on... Salvador Dali's genius or some way to unlock it. And there isn't even an ultimate answer on the meaning of their marriage. There's only angles on it, you know, insights into it. And uh, I'd rather sort of give people an experience and let them find their truth in it, find their way through it. Yeah, I, uh, that's that's what I would rather do anytime um, as opposed to you know, being told what to think, like you're saying, yeah. uh, 
and the soundtrack was also amazing. You've got Roxy Music yeah. and, you know, Amanda Lear uh, posed for one of their albums. Yes, yes. Famous, <laughs> famous image. Yeah. 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 And, and it's such a, a, a great um, character as well to have in that, you know, and then the aforementioned Alice Cooper. I yeah. think Shirley and company, Steve Harley and the Cockney rebel, the, the yeah. spinners. It's like, we're yeah. a, a, a interesting time where glam rock was intersecting with like disco. And yes. <laughs> it's just, just, it's funny. Cause we were talking about, you know, can we have disco? Well, not really. It's just before, but mm -hmm. I, I actually love that kind of, it was a great era of Philly soul. You know, and I love that music. I love Spinner. I love those those records. Um, who else were we going to have that we couldn't have? I was going to have Curtis Mayfield, but um, mm. there's a great kind of soul music in that in that era. Plus, um, it was interesting to have some of the lesser known, like you know Steve Harley. You know, mm. who I love. You know, we've got two of Cockney Rebel songs in there that are just a great kind of British glam rock. Um, and it was just it was just the that that little brief window, the music's so specific, it's like end of glam, just this period of glam. Um, and then and then that kind of soul, and then just before disco and a year or two before punk, you know? Yeah. Just a year before like television had their first single out, I think maybe 75, you know, like Patty Smith had her for 75, I guess. Yeah. Um, was horses came out but it's really just it's just the year before or the two years before which I kind of love that you have to be very specific you have to really you can't have you can't have punk you can't have Patty Smith you can't have a look like that because it's that's the next year <laughs> right so you you had con a lot of control then over the music you like yeah I mean you know control is as much as we could afford right right but I mean, I, I'm always impressed by what you can get, even in a low budget film. I mean, I was really happy to get, you know, Roxy music. We were going to have two Alice Cooper tracks. We got one because it's like, like we have to have schools out, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, originally I'd written David Bowie into the into the script because obviously I love him. But I. Uh, and we couldn't afford him. But in the end, it was kind of fun to have something less familiar. Right. So you don't take sort of the attention away from, from yeah. the narrative. Yeah. Because uh, um, he obviously is such a giant figure. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, I think what's interesting is that, you know, there's a scene where, um, uh, you know, the James asks if, if, Dali is is gay, I think, to Suki Waters' yes. character. And she's yeah. like, there's not a name for him yet. Yeah. For what he is yet. And today, with with I think the terminology we've been able to to place on on those um labels, mm. in your opinion, what do you think he would be classified as? Today? Oh my god, it's still really hard. Yeah. He's really hard because he was, I mean, I guess he was a voyeur. Um but then, and he was fascinated by people who were trans. Mm -hmm. I love that. But then he wasn't having sexual relations with them. So, and yet he was in love with Gala, you know, in some romantic, re revered way. It's, and, and then he would also 
have these beautiful young men working with him. I mean, how do you, what do you, yeah. his spread, his, his sexuality or his, it was almost also part of his art. And, and then he had a fear of sex, I think as well. Mm. I think he had a terror of the, the body. Right. right. You know? So I don't like, I, you know, it's, I don't think there's one single, still don't think there's one single word. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. He is, um, it's elusive in in that regard. Um, and, you know, you didn't direct your first film until you were 43, um, mm -hmm. which in this industry, I guess, is uh, uncommon. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Although le le less uncommon for women, I think, because I remember like Andrea Arnold, who I admire very much. She also got to start late, you know, and worked in TV like I did, but in a different way. Yeah, yeah. No, it 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 took a long time. Took me a long time. I was a journalist first, you know, till I was thirty. Yeah. Although I was working on screenplays in my spare time, but um, yeah. But then I just decided to not worry about it, <laughs> not worry about age, and just keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I can relate to that. You know, as a movie journalist, you know, I, yeah. I'm 33 and I'm like, oh, well, it's too late to. No, no, it's not too late to do anything. Yeah, it's not too late to do anything. <laughs> uh, that's my feeling. I just just ignore the whole idea of age. I think people people make ridiculous restrictions. It's not too late to do whatever you want. So, um, American uh, Psycho is a film that you know, you're um often associated with um it's a brilliant movie um what were some of the most important things i think that you wanted to capture from brett easton ellis's novel um well i think his his humor is when i first read the novel which was not you know several years before the idea of directing it came up um i just read it as a as a, as a reader um i just thought he was really really funny and he had this kind of social satire that I thought was really brilliant. Uh, I read it when I was living in England and it reminded me of early Evelyn Waugh, this kind of very like dry, you know, very acerbic social satire, very deadpan social satire. Um, and, it's, and it's like, everybody's saying how horrible this book is, but nobody's saying it's funny, you know? Uh, so, so that I'm, mattered a lot to me. There's, there's a lot of that kind of humor in, in his work, you know? Um, so I did want to kind of rescue that. Yeah, it, it definitely translated. And with, with, was this incorporated in your conversations with uh, Christian Bale about the character, Patrick Bateman? The, the I mean, aspect? I, I think the Christian, when he first um, contacted me about the script, he even sent the script and he said, I, ho I hope this won't ruin everything, but I think the script is very funny. And I was like, yes, it's supposed to be. So no, you're not ruining anything. And in fact, that was one reason, one of the things that made me think that he was the right person to do it is that he got he got the humor in it. That was very key. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think I told a friend once who had who had no idea who directed American Psycho. And I said, oh, it's, you know, Mary Heron. And he he was surprised that it was, you know, um directed by a female and I'm I don't understand that because to me it's very clear it's coming from a, a, a female gaze if you will yeah yeah I thought I I mean I think that Guinevere Turner and I you know who Guinevere who wrote the script with me I mean we were very conscious 
uh, of this, because I had just come off, I saw Andy Warhol about a radical feminist, and she had just come off Go Fish, which was a lesbian romantic comedy. And we were like, nobody can dictate to us about what's feminist or not feminist. You know, we can, we're just going to do the book the way we watch and yeah. take the things that we think are interesting. And we're confident in that. Right, right. Like the, the, even this, like the sex scenes are very mechanical and yeah. Yeah, I, I always thought that they were written like almost like a sort of parody of like, you know, porn in a way. Yeah. They're just like, you know, there's, an, there's something absurd in the sex scenes completely. Right. It's just like Bateman, Patrick Bateman's idea of sex, you know, right. <laughs> pornography. Right. Um, and, you know, you mentioned you thought it would be, I think, in an interview one time that it would be easier to get films made after in Psycho and anyone would think the same thing. Um, yeah. Why do you think it, it, it didn't get easier? Is it the competition, maybe gender bias or, you know, the desire for more mainstream stuff? In, yeah, it might be the desire for more mainstream. I'm not sure. Or, or that they, people want you to cast whoever's the star of the moment rather than who's right for the role. I think that's always going to be a problem. I certainly am always, always facing that. Thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate your time and uh, yeah, Thank you. take care. And that's a wrap on Mary Heron for her new film, Dollyland. Hope you enjoyed the episode. I'll see you next time on Shattering Superstructure. This is Alex Arabian signing off. Thank you.